And I'm Katie, and you're listening to What Is That?, a podcast where we talk about animals you've potentially never heard of. So today's episode is a special one. It's our very first episode, and we're taking us all the way back on a journey to the beginning, where we take you back, way back, to chat about fossils, but not just any old fossils, living fossils. What is a living fossil, you ask? Is it a bunch of skeletons tap dancing around in the woods somewhere that we didn't know about? You're close, Danielle. Living fossils are animals that have survived with little evolutionary change over a long time and are still around today. So let's jump in. What have you drugged from the depths for us today? So this was a hard one. Of course, you got your classic living fossils like your crocodiles, your alligators, your horseshoe crabs. We know about these already, right? Old news. I wanted to dive deeper into our beautiful oceans. And this living fossil you can find off the coast of Australia and New Zealand. And it's called the elephant shark. Is it an elephant? Nope. Is it related to the elephant? No. Is it a shark? Nope. And I'm going to talk more about what the heck is this thing in a little bit. So let's begin. The elephant shark is this really beautiful fish, one might say, that lives off the coastline of Australia and New Zealand and Tasmania, which is a fun little island to the south of Australia. There's your geography fact of the day, Katie. Um, But it is this about four foot or a little over a meter, if you're a metrics person, long shark, I'm just going to use shark for now, Um, that is this beautiful shimmery silver. And it has these kind of long like flipper fins and two dorsal fins, which are the fins on the back. Two. Two. Most just have one. Why stop at one? Why not live it up? Live bigger, right? Mm -hmm. Live big. Go big. That's the saying. Go big or go home. And it has pretty large set eyes and what I imagine are little chipmunk cheeks on this shark just to help accent and accentuate its beautiful, long, illustrious hook-like nose. Now, the nose, where it would normally stop on a fish, keeps going. And then it decides to kind of go start growing down and back towards the shark like a hook. And it almost reminds me of like, if we were to have a third claw arm growing out of our back, that's what it just kind of looks like to me. Like it's like this weird wart arm growing off the bottom of its nose. Like an extra appendage that you didn't know you needed. Yeah, definitely. It comes in handy though. Does it? It does. And I'll get there. And as this like fun appendage off its nose is pointing back towards its mouth. It kind of has this like, I mean, I would say a smile only a mother could love. Mm. Um, So that's kind of the image I want us to have of this elephant shark in our mind. Now, the elephant shark has a pretty cool title. (laughs) It has the slowest evolving genome of any vertebrate animal. 
land, or sea. Now, you might ask, hmm, it's been a hot moment since I've learned what a genome is. So just a quick review. Um, A genome is like a complete set of genetic instructions for a living organism. So it kind of helps tell the body on a genetic level what to do, what attributes to have, how to function. So this guy has pretty much stayed consistent on the genetic level for the past 400, 450 million years, which is mind-boggling. I can't even really wrap my head around that. It's a really hard amount of time to put into any sort of context. We really, I, I don't know how. I don't think we can. This thing was just chilling and swimming off the coastlines of Pangea. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> with the dinosaurs. It's true. It's living in an environment that its direct environment maybe hasn't changed too much, but the rest of the world looked completely different. Yeah. Which is crazy thing that has survived all that. Now, I should probably pause real quick and acknowledge the fact that living fossils is a little bit of a controversial term. Not all scientists or research enjoy using that term. I personally, if I had to take a side, don't mind the term. I think it's a nice, approachable thing to say for those that maybe don't know a lot about how we categorize animals or kind of like the tree of life or things like that. But there are those that feel like it doesn't necessarily capture the true essence of these animals that have been around for a really long time. But I think it's important to take into consideration here that the fossil record, what we use to create these trees of life, uh, what we base our phylogenies of different animals on, It's incredibly incomplete in in and of itself. And the idea of a fossil is that it is an animal that is no longer in existence. So of course there's, there's ways to argue either side. But our point is that we're talking about animals that pretty much haven't changed since they would have arrived in the fossil record. Yeah, definitely. So now that we've acknowledged the controversy, we're going to move on. We're going back to the star of the show for the moment, the elephant shark. So as I mentioned, its really most distinct feature is this hook-like snout on itself. The gentlemen elephant sharks will have a larger snout, but they're actually overall going to be smaller than the ladies. So the ladies are overall going to be longer, but they're going to have a little bit smaller of a snout, a little bit more petite nose. But that little nose comes in handy. It loves just kind of like trolling along the bottom. It loves to eat shellfish and mollusk and maybe other smaller fish. While it's eating, it may look over its first dorsal fin for potentially larger sharks or larger fish that would love to prey on it. When everything's calmed down and the years moved on and the month of February hits... This is a time where the elephant shark likes to reproduce. So they can mature pretty quickly. When the, when the boys are ready to go, it's around three years old. And the females, about four or five years old when they're ready to start reproducing. And they lay eggs. So they don't produce live young or like pups or anything like that. So they get together. It's February And they're ready to lay their eggs and the male will come along and spawn. 
These eggs are laid in pairs and they are like very thick, leathery, elongated egg sac. Very tough because mom and dad, once they've done their job of laying their eggs and spawning, they say, peace out. Good luck. You're going to do great. Don't disappoint me. And then they swim out of that little sand, muddy river mouth estuary area and never to see their children again. So uh, that's why these eggs sacks have to be like really like thick and leathery. So solid parenting. Very. I mean, maybe they run into each other again. Man, would they know? Oh, that's a great question. Mm. Like there I am sifting along the sand, eating a delicious mollusk. And this other ghost shark bumps into me and ends up being my child. So I have a fun fact for you, Katie. A very fun fact. Remember in the beginning when I was like, the shark is not an elephant nor related. And matter of fact, it's not even a shark. So elephant sharks, you might also hear them be called ghost sharks, but they're not sharks at all. They're actually members of the ratfish family. Mm. Also part of the chimera order, which is just such a fun word to say. Oh, yeah, delightful. Isn't that fun? So these guys are commercially fished for in Australia and New Zealand, and they are often used in fish and chips. So it's just like a white fish, mild flavor. There are other ratfish that, like the spotted ratfish, where people have tried that one and said that it tastes bland with a with a uh, bad aftertaste. Mm. So not as palatable, not as palatable. They are least concerned when it comes to conservation. Obviously, they are part of a fishery economy, but there are conservation groups out there. They're just trying to bring awareness to the type of like fishing practice that's done to capture these guys. And the biggest one is bottom trolling. So bottom trolling is a type of fishing where it is highly destructive. Like they throw out these weighted down nets. And uh, a lot of times they get a lot of bycatch in it. So it's things that they weren't intending to catch, which can often lead to a lot of unwanted death. And it can be very physically damaging to the environment. Australian government has issued a couple of statements on bottom trolling. And to me, uh, well, I'll read them and then I'll get your input on it. So the Australian government, their acknowledgement of bottom trolling is, I've been saying trolling this whole time, but it's trolling. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have been thinking about internet trolls a lot. Maybe that's why I'm just triggered now. Maybe, or maybe these boats have little trolls living underneath the bottom of them. (laughs) One never knows. So this is the Australian government issuing a statement saying, quote, sometimes bottom trawling can catch unwanted species of fish, not the type of fish that the net was supposed to catch. This is known as bycatch and is monitored by onboard fishery observers who assess the environmental impact of the trawling. Although, sorry, quick note, I just had a visual of a bunch of Australian men wearing long trench coats and like fedoras just standing there, arms crossed observing the trawling yeah how do you observe i guess when they pull it up then you can observe the catch yeah so they go on although it's not physically possible to trawl on reef structures significant long-term damage can occur if sensitive habitat areas like coral sponges and seagrass beds are trawled 
to ensure these sensitive habitat areas are protected from trawling, management arrangements such as area closures are extensively used. What's your thought on that statement? It sounds like they are aware of the situation and wanted to say some things to let people know how aware they are. Yeah, I think they're aware. And that's about it. Um, Reading between the lines, it's like, yeah, we know. Moving on. And then they make hard eye contact. And then they make hard eye contact and raise an eyebrow or two. Until you get too nervous and you end up walking away, shuffling away, most likely. It's true. And those bottom trolls will get you. (laughs) Um, They may sick the trolls on you. (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple of conservation organizations out there that are trying to combat this type of fishing, bottom trawling. So in the United States, we had the Marine Conservation Institute. They're based out of Seattle. And they also have an office in Sonoma County in the town of Glen Ellen, which makes Katie and I excited, us Sonoma County folks. And we'll post their link on um, our social media stuff as well. So if you want to check them out, they have a lot of programs involving fisheries and just how to help create more sustainable fishery programs so everyone can win. Win-win for all. And then in Australia, there's the Australian Marine Conservation Society, and they're doing a lot of campaign work with sustainable fishing and fishing practices, and they are doing a lot of legislative work as well to try to get some um, laws passed. So that, folks, is one of the oldest living fossils out there, the elephant shark. So... Katie, I am so excited to see what animal you found. Well, I think I'd like to start by setting the scene a little bit for you guys. I'd like you listeners to please close your eyes for a moment. Imagine yourself on a riverboat going down the Amazon River Basin. You're hearing the noises. It's very warm, very humid. You've been sweating profusely for hours, <laughs> days maybe, as long as you can remember landing in Brazil. And all of a sudden, you look over to the side a little bit. You hear a commotion. You hear some noises, like maybe two raptors having a, a breathy argument. And then you hear a plop, and something falls in the water. And then you hear as something scrambles up out of the water. God, are we about to get murdered? (laughs) (laughs) Then you look up into the tree and you see something you did not expect to see. Ooh, I feel like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if he went on a boat ride down the Amazon. That's what inspired him for half of his tales. Well, I wouldn't be surprised after taking a look at this creature for what you see when you look at the top of the tree is a great big bird. But this is not just any magnificent bird. It has the body of a pheasant, just your average plump, plush-looking, delicious pheasant. And then as you travel up the neck to the head, you see a big naked spot around the eye that is bright blue, vibrant bright blue sky blue. Following above that is a very long, thin, delicate crown of red feathers And when you go back down to the feet, they have very skinny legs like you might see on a a water bird, such as an egret or a heron, all black, long, spindly toes. And these birds make their nests in trees 
over the river because their defense when they get attacked by predators is to drop into the water. Like a cannonball. Like a cannonball. They're not floating down. They're dropping down. I guess I should (laughs) preface that with that is the defense of their chicks because they don't really have a whole lot of defenses coming from the parents. Size, I guess, would be the biggest one. But yeah, that is their defense against predators, for the chicks to fall into the water. And then how do they climb up with no feathers, you ask? They use... Real quick, real Mm -hmm. quick. Yep, hit me. So we're in our canoe. Yeah. We heard whatever you could put together. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that you... Now that Raph's on the table, I'm imagining us like <laughs> tying a bunch of like trunks together, tree trunks together, and we're floating down this raft. Um, okay. And I heard this kerplop. Mm-hmm. And it's this chick. Mm-hmm. And it's featherless. Featherless. Right now? Just down. This thing just cannibals into the ocean. It does. I mean, to the river. To the river, which probably feels like an ocean for this guy. <laughs> does it drown? Like, it does not drown. It okay. immediately climbs back up the tree with the claws protruding from its quote unquote wrist joint that's called a carpal in a bird. But it uses those like this little bat creature and climbs its way up the tree back into the nest. Nice oh and safe with my mommy. God. Did you describe a dinosaur or something? You just remind me of like the pterodactyl. <laughs> It also reminds me of another bird that you and I both are very familiar with. It's a South American bird called a crested screamer. Indeed. That is exactly the kind of claws I'm talking about. Big horny protrusions straight off where the thumb might be on a a mammal animal. But they lose these. They only have these when they're chicks specifically for this purpose. They evolved to fall into the water and climb back up to their nests. What is this animal called, you ask? <laughs> it's called a hoatsin. Yep, a hoatsin. Heard of it? Its uh, scientific no. name is Epistocomus hoatsin. It is also known as, oof, I just realized I haven't even gotten to the best parts about this bird. This, it really took me on a journey. This is wonderful. I am like on the edge of my seat literally <laughs> right now. This bird is also known as the stink bird. <laughs> It's known as a skunk bird or a cowbird. Now, you might be uh, led to believe that this has something to do with the way it smells. And you would be correct. You're on point. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) So the reason that this bird is called those maybe less than attractive nicknames is because it eats 100% solely only leaves. It's the only bird that does this. There's mammal species that do this, and they have the same olfactory issues. But because... <laughs> a polite way of saying they smell awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're not supposed to tell people they have a terrible BO. <laughs> so the reason eating leaves in and of itself might not do this, but because... Leaves are composed of cellulose, and cellulose is so difficult to digest. This bird has a dual-chambered stomach, so while the leaves are digesting in the chambers of the stomach, it creates gas. Much like here in the lofty hills of Sonoma County, we have something that we call the Sonoma aroma. May or not, may not be familiar with it. My favorite smell. 
And that is due to the methane escaping the numerous cattle herds that we have around here. And it's the same exact issue. It's methane escaping the bird in delightful belches like the esteemed colobus monkey. Oh, another favorite animal of this podcast. <laughs> it's one of our mascots. We have many. <laughs> but yes, like the colobus, majestic visually. Stunning. It's the supermodel of the monkey world. Rolls Royce of the monkey world. <laughs> My God. Does it come with a price tag? <laughs> it's your lucky day. <laughs> These birds are dime a dozen in the Amazon River Basin. <laughs> Could not even find a conservation status. Really? So this bird, it mm-hmm. looks like something out of Jurassic Park. Or it reminds me of the drawings that an artist would do when like trying to recreate like a fossil image of a dinosaur. You might be mentally going to the image of Archaeopteryx, supposedly the uh, linked bird from the dinosaurs and the birds, Mm -hmm. that mystical creature. And that is the first thing that came to my mind when I saw this bird for the first time. It looks just like that bird. So maybe we are living amongst the legend, maybe not. According to research, this bird has branched from its other ancestor 65 million years ago. So not quite as impressive as your hundreds of millions old fish. Yeah, you know how uh, us ratfish do it. (laughs) Take our time, chilling in the water. Mm Mm-hmm. But these are for the reason of the horned claw coming off of their carpal joint when they're chicks considered living fossils. That is not something you're going to find in, I guess, almost any other bird. For their conservation status, do we know? Like, what's their population like? All right. So conservation status for this bird is least concern, which potentially is a wonderful thing, but... As we know, animals are getting discovered all of the time, so it might not necessarily be that these birds are thriving in their conditions, but maybe they're just a a little understudied, which if they're not having a huge ecological impact, then that would probably make a little more sense. I certainly knew nothing about this bird before I started researching it. I had no idea either. No. And I mean, what a sad life I've been living. (laughs) Who knew what we were missing all this time? <laughs> now that I've been enlightened, I'll keep better track of its conservation status. But as you know, I'm sure these birds can be grouped into the greater conservation efforts that are happening in Brazil and with the Amazon forests and all of that, which, you know, there, there's a lot of different sides to that. But people are taking notice and we are attempting to make efforts to help that place and preserve it for future generations and the health of the global ecosystem. Absolutely. And there's just, I think, especially with the big fires that happened in the Amazon a couple of years back, I think the Amazon's kind of starting to get pushed back into the limelight again and kind of in people's attention, like how it was back in you know, the 90s and 80s. There was a big campaign push for people to recognize what was happening in the Amazon and how important it is for us to try to preserve what we have and restore what we can. We always have an emphasis on what's being done in the world for these different animals that we're finding. I think it's important. We don't want to doom and gloom, I think, people's conscious 
about feeling overwhelmed about all the horrible things that are happening. I think it's, we're just trying to shine light on all the wonderful work that is happening right now to help preserve some of these really special animals and places. And boy, are these guys special. So special. So we just want to give a big thank you to everyone for joining us on What Is That? We are so excited to be here and have you join us for our very first episode. We're so excited for what the future has in store for all of us. We are over the moon to have you all back with us when we have fun looking into some animals that truly understand the meaning of shelter in place. Thank you. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye.